Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Move Your Mind. My name is Nick Brax, and this is a podcast where we have real conversations with real people and give real advice. On today's episode, I want to welcome back Dr. Marie-Helene Peltier. Marie-Helene is a practicing resilience and anxiety psychologist and a senior leader with over 20 years of experience in clinical, counselling and workplace psychology. One of her key areas of focus is leadership resilience. She's bilingual, holds a PhD in counselling psychology and an MBA from the UBC School of Business. This was our second interview. We got to dive deep into topics around resilience and burnout and I really enjoyed the chance to have another chat to her. And just another reminder that the Move Your Mind book is now available globally. You can go to nickbrax.com to find all of the links. It's available in stores Australia-wide and the Move Your Mind audiobook has been released globally. Mary Helene, thank you for coming back on the Move Your Mind podcast. You're one of my early interviews and actually one of our most popular interviews that we've had because what you talk about is so relevant and you talk about it in such a clear way, which I know cuts through to people. That's why I loved our conversation, why we're bringing you back for around two of our initial conversation. So thank you for coming back. It's a pleasure to be here, and I also very very much appreciate your direct, clear, transparent style, so pleasure to do that with you. Appreciate it. So just as a refresher for anyone listening to this episode that didn't hear your first interview, um, can you just give a quick overview on yourself and how you came to where you are now? For sure, absolutely. So uh, I'm originally from uh, Quebec City, where I did the beginnings of uh, my my um, training in psychology. So and then I did the rest of it on the West Coast in Canada at the University of British Columbia. So I have a PhD uh, and an MBA, and I'm a registered psychologist. Uh, and I've worked in workplace mental health uh, for all my career. I have been in uh, leadership roles, senior leadership roles. And now I do speaking uh, and consulting, advisory, coaching, and still maintain a very small uh, private practice. All of this mostly uh, with professionals and leaders, as well as larger groups of employees. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of, you know, it's um, you've, a lot that you're doing and, you know, very qualified in what, in what you're doing, which I think is so important. And uh, but, you know, it's, like we're saying, this is so needed in the workplace and I see it through the work that I'm doing and the conversations I'm having, just how big of an issue things like burnout are, how difficult it is for companies to change their culture and what that takes. So a lot of today I wanted to talk to you about that. Um, and as part of, you know, in Australia, especially National WorkSafe Month, um, a lot of companies are looking at this with safety and, and culture and, you know, what... What I guess to begin with, you know, what are some of the biggest implications that um, the biggest factors that get in the way of having a healthy and safe workplace? Oh, and, you know, I think a number of factors, uh, it's not just I think, it's we know from research and, and best practices, but I see it uh, in my work as well. 
it, some of the factors, and I'll go, um, there are a number of factors, but if I were to focus on the few that are even more specifically impacting burnout, um, you're looking at factors like recognition in the workplace, uh, workload, of course, civility and respect in the workplace, a fairly significant factor in this area. And then you've got other factors like um, the opportunities to involve people, for them to influence um, decisions in the workplace. Um, you may also have other factors uh, like uh, the, um, um, the psychological um, um, needs of people in the workplace, the physical safety of people in the workplace who are also impacting the overall safety, psychological safety. Um, but the first few factors I mentioned are, have been found to be even more closely um, impact burnout. And as you mentioned, burnout is a big factor and an even bigger one across all industries, more in some than others, like healthcare, for example, um, in the past uh, year and a half and probably moving forward as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're hearing it all over the place with burnout's probably one of the biggest things, isn't it? Where, you know, even before COVID, it was a big issue. And we're, we're living in a world, and we have been for a long time, where uh, we're, we're culturally taught that we need to just do more and achieve more. And, you know, we're not enough until we acquire whatever that is. And that's just been elevated with the technology and everything becoming 24-7. And then COVID's just thrown a whole nother spanner in the works with that, where now it's like, okay, I've got all of those factors. I've got to also deal with all of these issues, these mental health issues arising from COVID and the uncertainty. And how do I keep a structure? How do I keep a healthy routine when I'm just sitting at home and I've, you know, don't have structure and, you know, it can so hard to navigate, but uh, we need to look into doing that. So with burnout, you know, where, yeah, where, where can we begin in a company, you know, specifically looking at that area when we want to look at managing burnout? What, what are some beginning steps that we can do? Yes, yes. And, and this will uh, depend on, of course, the type of organization, the size of the organization and where um, the organization you happen to be in uh, is at with regards to even their mental health strategy. More and more organizations have a mental health strategy that typically will be aligned with their physical and financial health strategy and with the overall strategy, business strategy of the organization. Um, so more and more, this, this is uh, present in organizations, but it's not always there. And if you're in a very small organization, highly unlikely, uh, this is part of what's going on. So it will depend on mm. size. And, and it is fine that it depends on size or where the, the organization is at on their journey. The, I think the important piece is no matter where uh, you in the organization or the organization is at, we want to take the next action. Right? Because mm. uh, having uh, knowledge or, or concerns uh, about it is, is important, but nothing's going to change unless we take action. And if you're unsure of what action to take, the one thing you can do is connect with your HR partner and just ask, where are we at with regards to mental health? And where are we at with regards to burnout in our organization? And that starts the conversation. So it doesn't mean you now need to have a you know, an additional weight on your shoulders and need to make it happen, you do want to outreach to internal resources and work on this together. But to get back to your question, mm, I think mm. the very first place to start when we're starting to think about burnout is um, number one, having clarity on the definition, because we use burnout in, in common language in various ways, right? Oh, I'm burnt out. I had such a busy weekend. 
right? We sometimes say that. Now, he, specifically in the work context, we're really talking a bit about an occupational phenomenon um, as defined by the World Health Organization that has three components. And so one, the first component is exhaustion. And often people will use burnout mostly because of exhaustion. However, and it's important if we're noticing we're exhausted or going towards it, certainly. Yeah. However, it's not the only um, aspect of it. You want, it, not you want, but in burnout, you would have exhaustion. You would have cynicism. So you're distancing yourself from caring about uh, what's going on, what you do at work. Um, and at some point, it decreases your efficacy, your professional efficacy. So these three yeah. components need to be there to really be talking about burnout. Um, and it can start from any of the three. It doesn't necessarily start from the first one I mentioned. It could start from other places. Um, and sometimes people will report only one of the three and sometimes two of the three and then sometimes three of the three, right? So we mm -hmm. want to be clear yeah. on that definition. And one key aspect of that overall definition uh, is, is the fact that burnout is not just in the individual, it's not just in the organization, it really is in the relationship between the two. And yeah. that's a message we're hearing more and more, that's an important one, but it's also critical if we're going to look at improving the state of um, the situation in the workplace, because it means actions from both sides is needed. And yeah. what I often say um, to, to, um, to everyone really, is that even though there are these two components and it's about this relationship. It's, in my opinion, very critical that the individual here gets a lot of information about this process and this system. And sometimes I speak to people, early career individuals, and that's critical because even though it's a relationship and it's a combination, ultimately the person paying with their health is the individual here. Mm. The organization mm. will have other people. It will carry on. It will keep going. It may suffer and, and have challenges, but it will keep going. The pain here, however, will be fairly significant. So it's very important that as individuals, we're aware of the overall system, the overall dynamic, and make sure we take an active role in keeping an eye and managing and taking actions for that reason. Yeah, well, yeah, thank you for explaining it in that way because it's such a, it's a complicated thing, isn't it? And I guess like, what you're saying there, you know, so much of it comes down to uh, in the workplace, creating good lines of communication from every from every side of it, from from management with employees, and and I guess not, you know, the one thing that I've really learned from the work I've done in companies is uh, to change these cultures. Uh, these have been set in place over so many years, and it's the same as you know, it's a it's a sort of microcosm of society where these things are so embedded that to change it, it takes a very consolidated effort. And it's not just one thing that's going to change that culture. It's not just going to be, you know, the management changing it. It's not just going to be the individuals, but it almost has to be everyone becoming aware of it and having the mindset that I'm going to be a leader myself and I'm going to be a catalyst for changing this. And I'm going to, you know, put my best foot forward and lead by example. And if everyone can do that, then a big change will happen. But you need everyone to not have the view of, I'm just going to wait for things to get better because it never will. It's got to be, I'm going to take it, I'm going to empower myself to do it. You know, that's a, I think that's a big part. Yes, yes, 100% agree with everything you just said. It's two key components to this. One is what you were mentioning just at the end here, that um, the, the um, 
one of the things I hear often, uh, and I hear this especially from people who are very effective in what they do, who have a strong uh, sense of uh, competency and being very capable and having been praised for it often. Mm. Uh, and so what, what tends to happen is that they sometimes will struggle, see that they're struggling, but they'll either tell themselves, that's nothing, I'm fine. Or they'll say, it's not great, but it's going to get better. It'll be fine, kind of thing. And the challenge with this is that that means the challenges continue, right? While piled under here yeah. until it gets to an even more challenging state, right? Yeah. So, so it is very important to be able to have a culture where we individually are encouraged uh, to pay attention to this. And part of me would even say, and no matter what the culture is, let's each of us make sure we do this and gradually talk about it such that it creates what you're describing, you know, this culture where, yeah, it is a good and healthy thing to do. Now, the second piece that um, I, I'm seeing, and I, we see this in the, actually in the academic literature as well. So when we're looking at workplaces and the types of actions they tend to take to support the mental health of their employees, the types of actions that are more often implemented are things like making sure we support someone if they need time off work or if they're returning after a mental health related absence. There's a bit more um, deliberate and regular attention to these kinds of things. And that's really good. That's very important. However, the employer actions that we know from research would have the largest impact on the state of mental health and burnout and the shifts in the overall culture would be to bring uh, mental health training. So mental health mm. training for workers and coworkers, mental health training for supervisors, sometimes everyone together, but some things are also a bit specific to, to each of these um, subgroups, right? Yeah. And if we do that, because in order to do what you're describing, right, to uh, see yourself as a leader, take this role, influence that culture, you need a bit of information. If you don't, if you don't, you're going to go with your best assumptions or your personal experience, which is something and can be added to um, more formal training, right? Good information that's then shared with everyone. And then we've got even more of a chance. Absolutely, which is one of the next things I was going to bring up. You know, it's sort of like what you said there. uh, It's about that preventative action and putting those systems in place and having the structure to do it. But you know how like because how do we you know do, implement that into a, an organization because that can um you know often and I, I know i've seen it when i've been hired by companies in the past to go and do a talk and you'll see you know it's a really positive response but if there's not enough if the company's not willing after that to invest in enough of a follow-up and put that infrastructure in place it's sort of like okay great we've learned some really good information here but where do we go now you know how do we how can they make that, that put the systems in place for that long-term change? Yes, I yeah, <laughs> big question. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's a yeah, a complicated question, I guess. Yeah, it, it is, and, and and but that's exactly why you're asking it, and why organizations are struggling with it. If it was simple, you know, we'd all be fine and would be doing it. So it is complex, um, but it's not magic. There there are actual things that yeah. we can do that will help, and and high level, of course, again always depends on specific context, but high level aspects to consider. Um, If the organization is really not, it's really not on their radar to be even thinking about this, or it's very minimally on their radar. So they bring, you know, you or me or, you know, someone to to help 
and bring this conversation forward, and people are in the, in the audience and wishing that things will move, then I would say keep, um, uh, keep in mind the value of small individual actions. It's not going to change the entire company in, in, you know, from one person. But if this is an organization with 100 people and following your talk, mine, or someone else's talk, each, hundred, each of these 100 people choose to take one action and tell everyone about it, moving, movement is starting, right? And yes. sometimes to start movement, this is how it starts, right? So that's in everyone's hands, like today. We could do it, right? Mm -hmm. If the company is a bit further ahead, then sometimes um, there's two key components that probably will help move things forward. One is looking at um, the numbers that they have. Uh, numbers on how many sick days, uh, if um, you have numbers on your short-term or long-term disability absences, which ones, which categories are we looking at? Do we have physical health, mental health, within mental health? Do we have one third of these people diagnosed with, um, often a the mental health diagnosis will be depression because burnout is not a diagnosis, it's an occupational phenomenon, but it leads very often to depression. Mm. So the more you can look at that information, those numbers, and then trending these numbers, so if we looked at the past five years, how are we doing? Is it same? Is it going down? Has it been going up? And, and so that you can start seeing, okay, wait a second. If we don't do anything, the trend will likely continue. If the trend continues, we're going to not have people and it will eventually influence the culture of the organization, the health of the organization and the success of the organization. Yeah. So going with the numbers is often a good place to start. Um, Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And then after that, assuming that the numbers convey the, the urgency and, and the decision is made to, to do something, I, I often uh, very much, uh, I mean, the same way organizations make decisions about launching a new service, launching a new product, if you're thinking of moving in that direction, then I would say you develop a mental health strategy. If you had one before, maybe now it's time to review it, given changes in the context, actions you've implemented already in the past little bit potentially, so that you can have a plan. You don't just launch a product because you think it's a good idea. You have a good idea, and then you take it back. You look at numbers, you look at uh, all kinds of matrices to think about internal, external forces, what may impact the success of it and how we're gonna go about implementing it. Strategic pillars, tactics within each of, each of these pillars. Right. Yeah. So yeah. same thing with a mental health strategy. So that then there are maybe pillars that have to do with increasing conversations about it, right? Through bringing a nick for conversation potentially. But yeah, there may be other pillars like adding internal training on workplace mental health, for example. And then there may be the reviewing the resources we have and good communications about these resources, just to give us some ideas. But uh, that's usually a, a good way to move things forward. Definitely. And and can it be a difficult thing to convince companies to put that investment up front into this? Because a lot of the time they 
you know, they look at things very black and white and they'll think, well, you know, why invest this money when we don't have to? Whereas, it, you know, it's like sort of needs to be seen that, well, it's taking that short term investment, but it's actually going to even on, you know, a financial level, save you money in the long term. Yes. Yes. And, yeah. and you have numbers on this. So there is a, in the academic yeah. literature uh, numbers on the return on investment on investing in mental health initiatives. So more and more we're seeing this. So it has been fairly established. Now, again, the return will be um, higher if you it's the actions you've looked to implement are part of a strategy, right? So that things hold themselves together as opposed to being a mix of unrelated good idea but unrelated items right yeah. so sometimes and sometimes there is an order in which it may make more sense to optimize you know the um and the outcome so um so in terms of uh, how to convince you know sometimes um the the um going if we're early in the convincing so we're not so convinced yet then often to get there again it's going to be not too different from others areas of life we start gradually you plant a little mm -hmm. seed and you let that one be there and grow and provide the positive impacts right yeah. sometimes it's going to be one team within the organization uh, that decides to take a specific action and so the investment is only here in this team and then it leads to positive results i'll give you an example we talked earlier about how one of the factors that will influence the overall psychological health and safety in the workplace is civility and respect. Okay. Yeah. And we also have um, a research data, uh, and it makes sense intuitively, but we have the data to support it, that when we have less civility and respect in the workplace, we have a higher rate of burnout. We also know that if we improve civility and respect in the workplace, we decrease rates of burnout and these decreased rates maintain themselves over a long period of time. Like there are studies looking at one year down the road, which is pretty good. So, mm -hmm. right. So then for really example, good. right, let's say there is a team that uh, is struggling with civility and respect. And often what will happen is one individual will be identified as the problem, right? right. We're trying to fix the individual or the problem, sometimes even exit the individual because the individual is the problem. And one of the things we actually know about problems of civility and respect in the workplace is that often it is not just about the individual. There are interactions. This is a system. And while not everyone may be part of the problem, everyone is part of the solution. Mm. So in order to fix these complex situations, various programs have been developed. And one of them, um, uh, was developed by its Canadian uh, researcher, a university professor, Dr. Michael Leiter. And Dr. Leiter had actually an appointment in Australia for a period of years. He's now back in Canada. We retrieved him, um, but <laughs> still works with people in Australia and in other, yeah. in other countries as well, in the U.S. as well. But it, through his research, he's put together, and he's done this kind of research over decades, um, but one of the programs, um, the program that he's put together on civility and respect in the workplace is called the SCORE program. So S-C-O-R-E stands for strengthening the culture of in, uh, respect and engagement. SCORE. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. and this program, it's fairly involved, right? So if an organization is dealing with a situation, they want to fix it, they want to do it right and retain their talent, 
they can bring a, a connect with say Michael later and or other programs of, of that type, but this one's been researched. So that's why it has a bit more, um, you know, certainty on the return on investment. Um, yeah. They bring in a, a consultant that will work with the team and that's done over a course of periods, like uh, weeks of work. Okay. It's basically almost like bringing family therapy to the workplace. Okay. Yeah, so we're, yeah. we're yeah. not going into like child, our childhood, but I say family yeah. therapy more in the sense of our interactions, our communications, how an intent may or may not be conveyed in how we speak, how we behave, the tone of our voice, the words we choose. And, mm. and then the team has homework between these, these um, uh, moderated conversations and they bring back and they report back and they build from it. But you can see how in some cases you actually need this type of work, right? It, it's more yeah. than just the education. Sometimes we actually need to get in there to really shift how we do things and again, these programs have been shown to make a, a significant difference. So that's an example. There are many others, but sometimes you do yeah. need to bring things like this as part of your overall strategy. And sometimes doing it in one team, as opposed to the overall organization, is a way to start smaller. I, I, I love that way. And that's so then you're not as overwhelmed because it, it can be just too much to take on at the beginning. Whereas if you can refine it like that. And like anything in life, isn't it? Any change we're making, if we try and do everything at once and try and do too much, we, we just get overwhelmed. And we're actually trying to get away from being overwhelmed. You know, that's the whole point of all of this. So it becomes counterproductive if you make it too too overwhelming. It does. And it's one of those things where, you know, it's when we're trying to change something bigger, we also want to, in some ways, harness the power of incubation. Right? So mm. even if somehow we could stomach you know doing 20 things at the same time it's not yeah. ideal we won't have time to integrate it as much so where if it if it's planned in a you know in a program of implementation in in a program of conversations that happen over a period of time then we're able to assimilate incubate on it grow from it and then take the next step and, and build from there yeah definitely Definitely. I think, no, I, I really love the way you, you've put that because it's, you know, it makes, it just, it makes sense. It's sort of, we, it can, like we're saying, it can be counterproductive otherwise. Um, lo longer term, you know, what what's, how is it important on a mainstream level that we start getting more educated about this, that, you know, I guess early on that we're educated in schools, that a lot of these systems change so that across the board we can, you know, start making a bigger change to prevent some of these things that we're now having to undo? Is that is that how you see the longer term change happening? Yeah, it's interesting. As The moment you started talking about longer term, I was thinking kids in school and you mentioned it immediately. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. it, it, it will change, want it or not, actually. <laughs> because, yeah. Yeah. right? And because everyone's talking more about it. Um, yes, younger children are getting more information earlier in their lives. I remember when my son was in his first um, daycare, like the one-year-old to three-year-old daycare, there was a program um, at some point informed parents, okay, we're doing an anti-bullying program. And as a psychologist who doesn't work with this very young population, I was like, oh, like, how do you do this? And the answer was yeah. they were teaching these very young kids that if there was anything that was not friendly, right, throwing a toy or whatever was not friendly, they were to say it. They were just to say, this is not friendly. 
that was the training. Right. <laughs> but yeah. it's amazing, yeah. right? Yeah. You just even hear it and you're like, oh, that's clever. I mean, if all of us adults could even say something like this in the workplace when something is not friendly, we'd already be ahead, actually, right? So I do Massively. think that things will move forward at, if nothing else, because of this, but there are many other movements. And, and one of the uh, pushes, of course, is, is that, uh, yeah, the burnout rates are uh, getting higher. And, and at some point, it has an impact that practically cannot be ignored. Um, and individuals also, I would say, you know, with them, um, especially in the past year and a half with COVID, which has had all the a number of impacts on many people, you know, from reviewing your values to what's important for you to where you want to invest your energy, your time, your health, and how, you know, all these conversations, which are all <laughs> ongoing for um, most countries. Um, but through this, um, there is um, almost a moment where even individuals, not, not you know, conscious, well, not, uh, you know, from that same perspective, but in some ways, they are pausing and defining their personal mental health strategy, whether they call it like this or not. It's a bit of that. It's yeah. a bit of, wait a second, I realize my health is very important for me. And mm. how do I want to align my choices, my life, where I work, how I work, how much I work, when I work, all this such that I will feel like I'm living my, you know, best life or fullest life. So, um, so that too, I think will be a, a part of the movement and, and probably part of how organizations can get to even better solutions. Because some of them are feeling um, very challenged in finding solutions to some of the challenges they're facing right now. And the solutions are not going to be quick fixes because of the mm. size of the need and also the size of the change um, that was brought forward in part with the pandemic. So, but it is an opportunity for reinvention. If we approach this from yeah. a reinvention perspective, so not small changes, a rethink, like then, then I think we were on a good path. Yeah, no, I really like that. So just as a, as a final thing, uh, what are, for an individual listening to this, what would be some tips we can give to them if they're wanting to start to look at implementing a few changes in their own personal life and bringing that into the workplace? Where What would be a few things they could start looking at? Yes, yes. Um, so I would say, as an exercise, um, to take a moment, maybe after they've stopped listening to us today, but it, it's not long, literally, you could do that in two minutes or one. Yeah. Just start listing what are your top stressors at work. And then you start listing, you add to this. So you start listing your stressors at work. Okay, got sometimes the days are extending way more than what I was planning. Sometimes meetings are piling up on top of each other or whatever. So you list that. Then you add the stressors, the demands that are happening in your personal life. And by stressors in this context, I don't mean just the negative ones. It's any demand in the psychological context, the stressor could be positive or negative. It's just a demand on the system that our brain and body is. So, but there are demands, right? So you start looking yeah. at that list and instead of just right away saying yes, and I will do everything, start realistically looking at that list and as asking yourself whether it actually is healthy or it, it's getting problematic. 
so that you look at it realistically. You pay more attention to how you're feeling, given all these demands, and you accept the feelings as opposed to pushing them aside and saying, oh, no, I just have to put my head down and keep going. Right? So mm. that you accept mm. the feeling. Um, because if you do that, if you look at the demands more objectively, get to see how you're feeling and accept them, then it will launch it, uh, most of us into more openness to taking actions. Now, in terms of what actions to take, if, if that's the case, then I would say, you know, anything that you've done prior to now in your life that has felt good, uh, assuming it's healthy, would probably help. Yeah. However, right, we do know from research, and we've talked about this last time you and I were talking, but they are central. They're like basis of the pyramid right here where you would want to optimize your exercise. And I know you talked about this in your book as well, the exercise, right? So the, the cardio, the strength yeah. training, the meditative type activities, you want to optimize your nutrition, you want to optimize your sleep and you want to optimize time spent with people you enjoy spending time with. And even though we've heard all these things uh, a lot, so we know them, it changes nothing if we're not implementing. So that's a place to start there on the individual personal side. And then if you're seeing challenges in the workplace, in terms of any other factors we talked about, then I would say, bring them up in conversations. Maybe say you were on this podcast, you listen to these things, blame it on Nick and I, <laughs> that we talked about these yeah. things. And you're just saying, I heard this. Does that apply to us? You know, I heard this. What are we doing about any of these things or where are we at in our own journey? Where maybe do, do these things come forward? When are we paying attention to our burnout rates, our workload, optimizing some of, or improving some of these things. So starting the conversation. Yeah. And if you are a very senior leader, then I would say you're probably already doing some of this year. That's the only way to survive as a very senior leader. And so I would say then bring your voice because as a very senior leader, you've got um, a unique position that you've been trusted with and you can bring this message, uh, bring this agenda uh, with your voice, which in this case uh, is very important. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. I think they're really, really good points. And and like you were saying, a lot of these things that we, um, you know, are healthy for us on a daily basis, we we sort of know about, but where we we neglect them because we get busy and we don't do these common sense things. So just reminding yourself, hey, it's not enough to just know or do it sometimes. I've got to try and find a way to do it regularly and, you know, so I can get that benefit out of it and, and look after myself. So I love all the stuff you've talked about and uh, thank you for making the time to come and have a second chat. I'm sure it will help a lot of people and love the work you're doing. And as a final point, uh, we'll put this in the notes of the show, but if anyone wants to learn more about your work or approach you or, you know, find out what you've got coming up, where can, where can we send them? Yes, uh, just my website. So DR, yep. like Dr. MH, like Marie Helen, and then my last name, P, like Peter, E L L E T I E R dot com. Yeah. Okay. And, and we'll have a link in the notes of this show anyway. So you can just click straight on the link and, and um, find all of the information. So thank you again for making the time. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, ho hopefully we can do it again soon. Sounds fantastic. Thanks to you. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much. This episode of Move Your Mind was produced and edited by Tim Boozer. Thanks to Dr. Marie-Helene Peltier for joining me today for Move Your Mind. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Fresh. 